Hello, this is Gerd Leonard, Futurist. These are my keynotes as audio podcasts. Enjoy. Greetings and privyet. I'm Gerd Leonhard, Futurist in Zurich, Switzerland. It's my great pleasure today to contribute to the civil forum of Krosnoyarsk territory and to speak to you about the future. And my topic will be what the future is bringing to civil society and what technology is doing to change our world and how we can re respond to it. So let's start right here. I mean, we're clearly in a, uh, in a future that is arriving at mind-boggling pace, warp drive, basically. <laughs> the next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years. That will impact business, commerce, society, city building, countries, politics, education, everything. Because now finally technology is becoming so powerful that it can actually do what it has promised for a long time. Right? It could actually bring us what I call the good future. Right? It could create a future that would give amazing opportunities and maybe allow us to work less for the same money, maybe create a global society that's not based on fossil fuel, a planet that can survive the future. It could do all these things. And the question is, how do we build a good future in a technology that involves this, right? Technology where um, life is changing exponentially, like these robots called the dancing robots. You can watch them on YouTube. We're truly at the uh, tipping point. Just 10 years ago, these machines would have broken down all the doors and destroyed all the equipment around them uh, just to, to get one of them to move like this. And now they're dancing, right? It's the tipping point that's happening, and that's happening with artificial intelligence, with, with uh, renewable energy, with, with data analytics all around us. The tipping point is coming closer and closer. Here, an important graph, you know, if you go exponentially, just linear steps, one, two, three, four, it kind of sounds like basically like exponential one, two, four, eight. But the difference is huge. If you go uh, 30 steps exponentially from here, I would get out to the street. But if I go 30 steps exponentially, I'm leaping, right? One, two, four, eight, sixteen. And that would get me 26 times around the world. That's the difference. So now we're in the leap age, and our next stage in 18 months or before is 8, 16, right? And in just a short time, uh, 10 years, we're going to be at 256. That's very hard to understand because humans are obviously not exponential. We don't, we don't grow as fast as, as transistor chips do, Moore's law, Metcalfe's law, right? We are living in a different world, and basically in this world that's happening right now, right here, this is the knee of the curve that's happening at this moment in science and technology is allowing us to basically leap into 2030 in a very short time. You can see some graphs here that show what's happening here in like artificial intelligence, robotics, genome sequencing, all happening at the same time. A lot of these things are driven, of course, by science. Many of those scientists are uh, Eastern Europe and Russia and uh, in that part of the world where a lot of things are, are moving quicker than we would have ever thought. So, for example, nuclear fusion will be able to, um, to entertain the thought of nuclear fusion probably within a decade, solving cancer. Right? I mean, basically, longevity is exploding. We'll all get to live a third of a year longer. That, the kids of my kids are likely to live 120 years. Talking about uh, population change here, right? Thankfully, we will not have too many kids in, the, in that future. So um, probably just a kind of replenishing 
undertaken there. But basically, as we're moving into that future, we're looking at dramatic cost reduction on all of the important stuff like energy, solar costs. And here we can see the tremendous change in climate tech innovation. That is a huge business all over the world. And there's going to be hundreds of trillions of dollars going into climate change adaptation and mitigation. And climate tech technology, I think Larry Fink from um, uh, Black... Um, from Blackstone Advisors, he said the other day that the next 1,000 companies to become unicorns and billion-dollar companies will be in climate tech innovation, uh, pollution, and all of the things that are surrounding this topic, right? So basically, as we're heading into that future, uh, that change is going to be, yeah, science fiction is becoming science fact. You know, we're going to be in a place where we can safely say what we thought about before, like, uh, you know, are there, uh, uh, flying taxis, right? <laughs> that is now so real because, yeah, there are companies doing flying taxis. Like in Seoul, in South Korea, that's the first batch of them are being trialed there right now. And truly science fiction is becoming science fact. Let's not forget what happens here when we see this moment, especially now in the COVID crisis, Many people have a dark view of the future, especially young people and kids. And this is also a global effect because many of us feel threatened, not just the COVID crisis, but uh, and the pandemics that, that may be coming uh, afterwards, but also, of course, climate change and geopolitical change and robots taking our work, right? First, the robots come and take our work and then they'll kill us. So there's a dark view on the future. And I don't agree with that. I think basically the future is going to be better than we think. When you look at this research, uh, a lot of people, especially in the Southern Hemisphere, they think humanity is doomed. And I don't agree with that because I think the future will be better than we think. Uh, because we have all the tools. We can solve things. We're going to solve climate change and global warming in the next uh, two decades. We may get to the point where we can even replenish the, the, uh, the planet and, and do something to, to bring back what we have or we destroyed. So we're on a good path there, I think, despite all of the woes and worries around us. And I would like to focus on the positive part. You know, we just need to do a couple things to make the right decisions. And especially, you know, if you think about civil society, education, learning, what people are doing, basically it's not just all going to be about science and technology. It's also going to be about finding consensus, right? about uh, having creative energy, about changing the, the way that we go about looking at the future, what I call the future mindset. Right? And it's also going to be about this. It's going to be about uh, protecting humanity from too much technology which is already an issue, for example, in social media. But we have to be aware that not all technology should be used just because it exists. And we have to ask the question, is it going to be good for people and for the planet? And will it provide purpose right? and prosperity as well? But prosperity is just one of the issues. So far, we've done things primarily because of profit and growth and power. And now we're at the point where we're thinking, OK, with the COVID crisis, we learned something. We have to all agree to do something and we have to all pull through. We have to change rules, break the rules, make new rules. We're not going back to normal. We're not going back to a world where we can do as we please. We're going to be going into a world where we have to replenish, where we have to think larger, where we have to make different choices. And that realization is coming. The next decade will bring all that change, financial change, stock market change, different companies looking at a purpose and the whole thing basically turning the concept of a planet back to the 
green days and the blue days rather than the red days. That's a 20-year uh, uh, progress that we're going to see here, total decarbonization of, uh, of our society. Going from the fossil fuel economy to the sustainable economy is going to be a huge shift. We will have all the tools, science and technology, but will we have the telos, you know, the Greek word, about wisdom, the purpose, the understanding. Aristotle said we need to look at the uh, destination, the, the place we want to go to, not just the means of how we're going to get there. And if our destination is the good future, we'll have to make the right decisions. And that is how to use technology, how to repay the benefit of technology to everybody, how to think about different economics. Right? As we're going to this future, we'll also have to question the power of technology to do the wrong things. Now, technology is more than neutral until we use it. And now we have social media, we have isolation, we have addiction. Yeah, only a little bit at this point, but that stands to grow a lot. So we're going to have to use a lot more tell us, tell us understanding and purpose. And that's going to lead to more regulation and more understanding and more collaboration. So basically the side effects of technology, too much technology, could be just as bad as the side effects of, uh, of climate change and global warming. And so that's something we have to keep in mind. That's all unfolding in the next decade as we're moving into a future that Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook calls the metaverse, you know, the place where people gather that is not real life, but it's a completely virtualized place. Uh, I think that's been tried many times, like Second Life and Microsoft is also working on this. But we're going to a place where we can do all those things. It should be really exciting. But on the other hand, you have to wonder, is it going to be a reductionist, like uh, making me forget what real life looks like? Will it be too good, you know, too addictive? And we have to keep in mind a very simple realization when it's about technology and progress of technology and even science, that technology doesn't have ethics. Technology doesn't understand our values, our emotions, our feelings, our consciousness, our human agency. And that's important. Right? So a civic, a civil society has to set the standard for this. It's not going to come from software. Uh, technology will not help us to solve social, cultural, political problems. We have to use technology, but in the end, we'll have to define the guidelines, the framework. And that is all happening right now, so I can only encourage you uh, to take a look at the, those scenarios. The European Commission is doing a pretty good job at leading in this direction, sometimes a bit clumsy as those things go. But I think this is crucial because in 10 years, again, technology will be unlimited in power. And the realization is really, uh, and, and if you're looking at uh, scenarios all around us. Uh, technology really drives our societies and of course the science behind us. It makes a change everything. But the bottom line is ethics define it. And ethics are values and it's uh, you know, simply defined as knowing the difference between what you have the right or the power to do and what is the right thing to do. And what is the right thing to do is not always easy to decide. But I think on the bottom line, on the lowest denominator, we tend to agree on what is the right thing to do. For example, most people would agree it's not the right thing to do is to build drones and, and unmanned aircraft that can kill with artificial intelligence without supervision. You know, remote-controlled intelligent drones seems like a very bad idea, right? So these things we have to define, and this is really going to be so important. Again, is the kind of shielding effect because the more we connect with the internet and with each other, the more we have to protect what makes us human. You know, we're not sitting there all day long sucking on the, on the data pipe 
and, and, and reading more information, that doesn't make us human. It's experiences, emotions, relationships. And I've suggested many times in the past, and I'll do it again here for your region, uh, to create a digital ethics council. Or sometimes I call it the Humanity Futures Council, even a broader definition. A council of wise people, smart people, intelligent people, people from all walks of life that deal with the questions of what is ethical to do with technology. Is it ethical to use face recognition or surveillance or, um, you know, how far do we take it and how do we stop from becoming machines? You know, in the end, message of my first book five years ago is to embrace technology but not become technology. When you become technology, you're a commodity. Right? Anybody can become technology eventually. Right? Is that going to be good for us? So that is a key question I have about the future. I really do believe that we have it in us and around us to create a heavenly scenario in the future. But it could be heaven or it could be hell, depending on the decisions we make today and the choices that we make today as people, as governments, as leaders. And we have to hold our leaders accountable, of course, for making those choices in terms of technology, in terms of climate change. You know, these trends, digitization, digital transformation, decarbonization, you know, these are trends that we have to be involved with because they're determining our future right here, right now. Because as I said earlier, now you're seeing this technology challenge, you know, technology can be used for lots of weird things and bad things like Here's people sleeping in a self-driving car, probably a Tesla. <laughs> Technology is neutral until we use it and we make lots of mistakes. So we have to have guidelines. We have to have a framework. We have to collaborate. We have to have a public discourse about what is good to do and what is not so good to do. That's going to be crucial for our future, for our prosperity. Right? So too much of a good thing? Yeah, a present can turn into a bomb. Technology can make us lonely. Uh, Instagram has been proven to be a, the, the, uh, a big factor behind a young girl's depression. Uh, social media generally has distorted reality. And the story goes on and on. We don't want to have too much of those technology bombs. We want to be able to keep it to the present, to the good part. And when we look at technology, clearly it's already kind of a fact that we've fallen in love with the mobile devices, which we can laugh about now. But, you know, we will not find happiness on the screen. And you're going to have more relationships with people on a screen than in real life. Where does that lead us? It leads us to a place where artificial intelligence will dominate our decision making. And, and we have to take it with a grain of salt because, you know, the good things are still good. But too much of a good thing is a very bad thing. That goes for technology, goes, it goes for coffee or for alcohol or for cigarettes. Right? So we have to find a way to moderate and to create a balance. That's going to be so important because we're not just talking about this digital tech thing, you know, transformation and getting more prosperous because of technology. This is also about social transformation. Our system is changing and we have to adapt it. Our taxes, our social security system, because more, more people will be working virtually from all over the world and people from across New York's region will work in New York in a, in a stockbroker firm virtually. That's probably already happening, right? And then and next is the human transformation. We're going to change our genome and be able to kind of reprogram if we're going to get sick or not, at least be aware of it in the last, in the next decade or two. Fundamental changes coming our way as humans and machines are kind of, I wouldn't say converging, but you know, getting closer. And, and, and so we have to find a balance there. We can't deny technology, we can't go backwards or we can't lock it away. Right? But, but 
how much do we want of this and what are the rules and who's going to agree. That is the role of a civic society leadership. That's the role of government and, and our leaders and of course our business leaders as well and the role of academics to help us with that decision-making progress because again it could be heaven or it could be hell but you know we're making those choices now. You know, I don't want to live in a world where we're going to have a happiness kit rather than real happiness. We have an electronic happiness kit. There are already <coughs> companies offering this. And I don't want to live in a world <coughs> excuse me, where there is going to be discussion about uh, human, human brains being substituted by technology. We don't want to live in a world where we're reducing what humans can feel to binary algorithms. So we're a lot more than that. You know, algorithms know the logic of everything and the value of everything, but the feeling of nothing. And that's going to be really important to respect the feeling, to respect the difference between humans and machines. As we're going down this highway, going really fast of artificial intelligence, the internet of things, and, and, and blockchain, and, and virtuality, and voice control and stuff, we're thinking we're going fast now, but the reality is, you know, we're going to need our civic leaders to have a driver's license for the future. Every leader needs to have a driver's license and to understand because this is what's happening, right? We're going super fast gear into that future and we're going to need leaders that can understand the speed, the exponential change behind it. So that's something I would encourage you to look at to create a training, future training uh, for the future mindset for your leaders, for your public leaders, elected officials and of course people in government and business. Because in the end, the flip side of this, we're probably going to need some sort of license to operate for a lot of technology companies. And that handshake between humans and machines, we have to make sure that the human can still be inside. Right? We have to make sure that humans are respected and that humans are used and that humans are put to good work and that we have flourishing of humans uh, in that entire system so we don't end up with a world that is a giant machine. Uh, and this is something to think about as technology is actually getting better and replacing many of our work and job scenarios, which I want to talk about in this chapter about HI, human intelligence, and AI. So we're seeing robots all over the world being presented as being kind of like humans. I think most of that is very nice demos, but uh, reality is pretty far-fetched. It looks good, right? kind of like the metaverse, yeah. but we're quite a bit away of humanoid robots actually achieving this kind of thing in the, in the very near future. However, anything that can be digitized or automated will be. It's kind of the end of routine for us. Like my work in, involves researching and fact-finding and doing all kinds of things and of course bookkeeping and, and uh, accounting of my affairs and I think technology is doing that much better and getting much better. And that's true for every job, driving, flying, researching, financial calculations, everything. But anything that needs a human touch, I think machines are much less capable of that. So the idea of us becoming useless because our routines are done by machines, that is probably not going to happen. Yeah, we're not useless because a machine takes away part of our task. If our task, for example, check out in the supermarket is done by a machine, well, then that person is going to be freed up to do other things in the supermarket. If your work is 100% routine, the machine will take your work. Right? If you work like a robot, a robot will take your job. And still, we have to also accommodate that change. But there aren't that many people that work like robots, parenthesis. Just pieces of what we do. The end of routine is coming. On the flip side, here's what's happening there. Anything that cannot be digitized or automated, virtualized, 
becomes extremely valuable. Right? Ethics, empathy, imagination, emotions, intuition, compassion, values. These are things that are very hard to understand for humans. Whatever is easy for a computer is hard for a human and vice versa. The Moravec paradox. Important to remember when you uh, think about schools and education. This is what we should be learning. Character skills, not just science and technology. Science and technology will remain crucial in engineering and math, of course. Right? But at the same time, the human-only skills is what we're going to be looking for in the very near future. As machines do stuff like this, this is Amelia, a banking bot right, that allows you to do virtual banking. I'm sure they have lots of those systems already in place in Russia. I saw one the other day when I was there. But basically this kind of routine is replacing things that are routine, like right here. right? Personalized financial advice, customer ID, billing management, credit scoring. I mean, these are machine jobs already, right? software jobs. They're just going to be done by artificial intelligence, parenthesis. So in the end, I would rather call it intelligent assistance rather than AI, I call it IA. Probably makes a lot more sense, right? The end of routine is coming. We have to get used to it. We have to retrain. We have to use machines so that we can be more effective and, and learn other things on our own. And we have to get away from this concept of efficiency. You know? That's been the concept for a long time that we use technology to become more like a machine, more efficient, more optimized, you know, higher margin. In the end, we don't really want that. We want the machine to do all of that, but in the end, it's going to be about different futures, a different efficiency, imagination, creativity, resilience, especially now with the COVID crisis, courage, ability, hope, imagination. Those are the things that we need in our future. Let the machines do the grunt work, the commodity, the donkey work, right? The simple work. That's going to be really important in that future. Also to look beyond the uh, sort of traditional obsession about just engineering and math, you know, just because that fits with the machine age. Now we move into the age of creativity, the age of ideas, right? the, age, the empire of the mind, as, as Churchill called it a long time ago. And that's going to be important that we keep, of course, the effort of science and technology. But underneath it needs to be what I call hecky. And that's the flip side. Uh, that's uh, humanity, ethics, creativity, imagination, art, as Steve Jobs was fond of saying, art and science. Right? I think that's going to be underscoring our future, underscoring our, all our efforts of technology, of science, is to have the human underneath. Right? So basically, we should invest as much in humanity as we invest in technology. And that's going to be really crucial when we think about education, when we think about allocating funds, when we think about what we want from our city to supply to us. Because the future of robots and artificial uh, thinking machines, parenthesis, right, is coming. It'll be a long time before they are like us, hopefully never. But it's starting to, be, to feel like you know, they can do things that we used to do. And that's becoming kind of reality in a, in a slow but gradually then very suddenly kind of way. So here's a new pyramid of skills. Right? Leave the lower part to the machines, intellectual knowledge, logic, information, data, right? And focus on the higher part of this, deeper knowledge, tacit knowledge, understanding, wisdom, purpose. Those are all the things that make us human, right? Human existence, human agency, consciousness, spirituality, the things that we need to actually be human. That is going to be the, the ultimate job, really. In the end, our ultimate job is to be human. And that's what we have to teach our kids. 
to be a better human, to understand things beyond the binary, beyond the obvious, beyond the explicit. And that is going to be so crucial when we think about uh, how we set up our schools and which way our job training is going, because education will be lifelong going forward. So let me wrap up and say, well, now we've heard all of these things about the future. What do we do now? Okay, first point number one, it looks sometimes very dark right now and kind of hopeless, but new doors are opening. I think the challenges and the crisis are resulting in opportunities, as they always are, and we have to understand them. And I think as those doors are opening, we're entering a decade that could be potentially a golden era of a sort, a strange golden, confusing, chaotic, perpetual VUCA, basically. Right? But a couple of points here, three points. First, digitization, using technology to make life easier and more efficient and, and more, uh, more sustainable and all these things. That's coming basically as a ticket, number one. We've been in that for quite some time. But digitization. The second one is decarbonization, going green in every part of our society, fixing pollutions, pollution, having more efficient technology, going back on the fossil fuel economy, growing the sustainable economy. That is a huge business. The World Economic Forum says roughly 300 million new jobs. That could be fantastic for your region because there's lots of reasons to believe why well, that could be done pretty much anywhere in the world. So very, very powerful shift and lots of money going there. And finally, what I call reformation. Rethinking the world, rethinking the economic logic, going beyond just GDP and profit and growth to a, a more sustainable logic of uh, people, planet, purpose and prosperity. That's a, a giant opportunity. And this is all going to be acted on in the next 10 years. Right? It's not just going to be technology or even going green. It's going to be reforming how we think of the world, what we want, what kind of world do we want our kids to live in? And do we want them to flourish or do we want them to be technological slaves? So as we're moving here, many people are worried about this technological part. And I'm, of course, worried about that as well. But we don't have to look at it this way, that technology will just take our jobs and, and, and nothing else will happen. I think that's a, a dim view. And we shouldn't go into the future based on fear. Now, we already have enough fear because of other things right now. We need to dial back on the fear and keep the caution, right? Keep asking the questions. But don't stay on this concept of saying, well, that's fearful, we should retract, right? It's going to be about foresight. Foresight means looking beyond the hood when you're driving. Uh, the faster you drive, the further, the further you have to look out. There's no magic sauce here. So basically, I always say spend one hour a day in the future. One leg in the future, the other leg in the present. And that will keep you from getting stale and not generating new ideas. Right? Because in the end, it's going to be about creating a sort of, attaining a kind of a wisdom, you know, the kind of concept of what we can do in the future, inventing, reinventing ourselves. And last not least, to collaborate. Our ticket to the future is collaboration, solving our, goal, our big problems, water, food, electricity, energy, right? uh, disease, pandemics. It's going to be about collaboration. And to understand that, we have to look beyond it, what the reasons are beyond this. Right? And we're going to a world that's like this. It's no longer just three television stations. It's everything now. Everything is available. This world is confusing, it's chaotic, it's constantly changing. And so you need what I call the future mindset. And I've been using those ear symbols for quite some time. So important to understand, to listen, to observe. So there's one thing you want to take from today as a leader. 
and as a participant in society to understand, to pay attention, to listen, to read, to think, to contemplate. That's the ticket. When you have a future mindset, you'll always find another job, another career, even when you're constantly changing. And that is the ticket to us, uh, to us, to our careers, to our families, to our success as a, as a, as a country and as, a, as an organization, to go beyond this kind of profit and growth society. And that is happening now because COVID is forcing us to do this and climate change is, the, is the, forcing us to do it, moving into a new world that is beyond the simple concept of profit and a sort of more holistic way, as we can say, clearly moving into a, a world of a, a quadruple purpose and so not a single purpose. And that is a giant opportunity that we need to amplify and that we need to t teach others. So I made a film about this, The Good Future, thegoodfuturefilm.com. It's a 12-minute film. It's also available with Russian subtitles on my website, thegoodfuturefilm.com. I'm sure you will enjoy it. This is Gerd Leonhard, Futurist. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out my videos at gertube.com on YouTube.